Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. Those of you here in the room with me and those of you who are watching us online, we're glad that you joined us today. We like to begin our services with this greeting that Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Okay, I'm sorry. You guys weren't ready for that yet, were you? You were finishing the conversations you were having. You weren't, you weren't quite ready. So let's try again. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we believe that's true, that the Lord is here with us and that he makes his presence known to us as we focus our attention on him, as we sing to him and pray to him, as we, uh, as we listen for his spirit speaking through the scriptures, as we gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. We believe that God meets us here. The holy God who created everything meets with us. It's an amazing thing. Uh, let, let's bow our heads and pray for a moment. Just prepare our hearts for just a second. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us into your presence, inviting us into these times of worship where we get to take all the stuff of life, all the frustrations, the anxieties, the, the, the disappointments, the shame, all, all the stuff that we bring with us, God. We get to bring it all to you, knowing that in your presence we can find the, the grace, the strength, the healing, the peace. We can find all that we need to live the life you've created us to live, to live a life with you. God, it's an amazing thing. Thank you. Would you help us to, uh, oh, I don't know, to somehow be able to perceive the reality of it, the reality of your love for us, of your presence with us, of your grace, of your kindness, of your goodness. Thank you, God. Please receive our thanks and praise as we sing to you. Please uh, guide us as we, as we pray and cry out to you. Please help us to have ears open, eyes open, hearts open to what you want to say to us, what you want to do in our lives today. Thank you, God. We are so grateful. We pray this confident in your love because we've seen it in Jesus. Amen. Well, if you're able, if you're interested, let's stand and let's sing as we begin today.
you in the heavens, joining with the angels, praising you forever and a day. Praise you on the earth now, joining with creation, calling all the nations to your praise. If they could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, surely we may never cease to pray. But everything that, but everything that, but everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Be my everything, be my 
I'd like to read from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Let's start with verse, verse 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You heard the word at the beginning One with God the Lord most high Your hidden glory in creation Now revealed in you are Christ What a beautiful name it is What a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. And nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. Soon, Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. But what could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my what a wonderful name it is Nothing compares to this What a wonderful name it is In the name of Jesus What a wonderful name it is The name of Jesus Hold before you, you silence them boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no equal. Now and forever our God reigns Yours is the kingdom Yours is the glory Yours is the name above all names What a powerful name it is What a powerful name it is The name 
Christ my King What a powerful name it is That nothing can stand against What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus Amen Amen. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Amen and amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, we thank you. We praise you, we honor, we glorify you this morning, Lord. There truly is no name above your name. You are supreme, you are higher than anything we can imagine, Lord, and then some. Father, I look forward to the day when I can lay every crown that I may or may not have at your feet. I can bow before you and forever sing, you are worthy. Forever sing holy, holy, holy. Lord, I can't imagine what it will be like to be in your presence, knowing, Lord, that I have the opportunity to do that forever and ever for the one who sits on the throne. Father, I thank you that that very God that we will worship forever is in this place this morning. You were here before we got here. You will be here after we leave. You are with us wherever we go. You never leave us. You've never forsaken us. And you will never do so. How many of us can say that about the people who love us the most and that we love the most? Yet, God, you have promised that and you have proven it to be true time and time and time and time again. And if you are for us, Lord, who can be against us? No matter what we face, no matter, no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord, there's nothing that we are looking at, nothing that we are, are going through that you aren't with us, that you aren't guiding us gently and leading us like a father leads their child or like a shepherd leads their sheep, Lord. Thank you for being that father. Thank you for each blessing. Even if it's in the midst of trials and trouble, Lord, it's they, we still can look at blessings that you've given us. The fact that you are with us is a blessing enough, and yet you bestow on us over and over and over your richness, your abundance, and we thank you. Be with us in this service. Be with Pastor Rich as he brings your word. And again, Lord, may it transform us as we go from this place into the day-to-day -day regularness of living life, Lord. May we be different because we've been in your presence. For all these things, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory, and we pray them in your name. Amen and amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you. Take a few minutes, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. Hopefully all of you got one of these little uh, handouts when you came in.
so you can follow along with this morning's message and uh, see announcements and people you can be praying for and thanking God with on the back there. Um, yeah, we would love to connect with you, and especially those of you watching online, we didn't get a chance to just shake your hand just now. Please let us know you're with us in the comments or shoot us a message or something. You could go to livinghope.info slash connect, that little link that's on the screen right now. Go to livinghope.info slash connect. You can fill out a little connect card there. Let us know we can be praying for you, thanking God with you, uh, that sort of thing, because we don't want you to feel isolated out there in uh, TV land or whatever you call it when people are watching online. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> We want to make sure we connect with you and that we're praying for you and uh, let you know that we care about you and, and uh, are glad that you're with us. So please, uh, shoot us a note, send us a comment, something. And uh, those of you in the room, obviously, you can do that same thing, or you can grab one of those little green cards back there. Um, there's a little table before you walk out of the place that uh, has got little green cards on it. It's got some, some more of these. If you didn't get one of these handouts, there's some more of those back there. And there's a little offering box. Just drop that card in that box, and then that way we can follow up with you this week and uh, hopefully answer any questions that you might have or anything like that. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, you can give there, too. If you're giving, you can drop that in the box, or you can give online uh, like so many of us are doing now. Um, let's see. By way of announcements, I know uh, the, the Emergency Overnight Warming Center it's almost done. Uh, March 14th is going to be our last night, Tuesday, March 14th. And uh, whatever the weather is, unfortunately, we just cannot keep it going beyond that. So hopefully the weather will be warmed up then. I don't know the forecast is, keeps going up and down and changing. But uh, thank you again to all of you who have participated in some way or other, whether by volunteering here uh, overnight or by giving or... Um, by your prayers, thank you for all the ways that you have been supporting that and uh, helping us to, to care for some of those uh, neighbors of ours who needed a warm place to be uh, through the night. Um, also, uh, Friday nights, there's a free meal that takes place here. Some of you guys don't know that. I haven't mentioned that in a while. Unity Cafe happens uh, on Friday nights from 4 to 8, and there's a free meal at 5.30. Feel free to invite your friends. I don't, is there still room for more people, Sam, I, I think? Okay. Sam Burgett uh, coordinates that whole thing. Um, and then they're also here Wednesdays from 11 to 3, much smaller crowd because they don't promise a free meal, and it's during the day when so many are working. But uh, this is for people who need a safe place to be where they know they're not going to be... Uh, well, especially if they're in some sort of recovery, you know, where they know it's going to be a safe place for them to, to socialize and to uh, uh, have some encouragement and, and just have fun. So, uh, oh, and then also uh, this Friday begins uh, a women's Bible study. It's a seven-week Bible study. It's during the day. Friday's at 1. Uh, if any of you ladies are interested in that, uh, there's a group of women who've done these, oh, I don't know for how many years that's been happening. Uh, Linda had, had run those for quite some time. Uh, Ruth Ann, my mom, is, is leading it right now. Uh, or this, this next one uh, on Friday. And uh, so if you'd like to be a part of that, there's a, there's a video, there's a book. Uh, let us know right away so that we can make sure we've got enough books for you by Friday. And that's Friday starting at 1 o'clock. Um, I think it goes for like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. So anyway, um, yeah, I think that's it by way of announcements. Uh, today we are... Um, we're looking at a book of the Bible that actually gets quoted by Jesus, all right? We're in the Old Testament. We're making our way through the scriptures. We looked at Genesis and Exodus. Now we get to Leviticus, this weird book uh, that many of us have not spent much time reading, including me, right? This is not, as you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, I don't spend a whole lot of time in Leviticus in what I, you know, present on Sunday mornings, right? Because it's a weird book full of all kinds of weird things. But Jesus quotes it in one of the most uh, important ways, when he's asked, what is the most important of all of God's commands? All the many things God has expected of us and communicated to us, what's the most important? And you can see right there in your notes, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two 
commandments. He says everything that God expects of us, everything he's communicated through the prophets, all of it hangs on these two commands, to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 for that first one, uh, and he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 for that second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says these are the most important commandments of all that God has, has issued, and one of them comes right, out of, it's right in the middle of this really weird book. All right? This is the same thing the Apostle Paul, numerous times in his letters to early Christians, as he's trying to help these Gentile believers, people like, like me, like most of us in this room, who, who aren't a part of the, the ancient people of Israel with all these commands and having to keep kosher laws and all the rest, and they're, they're coming to believe in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and saying, okay, I, I'm putting my faith in him. What's God expect of me? Paul doesn't go back and say, well, there's 600-something laws you've got to memorize from the Old Testament. No, what he tells them is, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to take care of pretty much all the other expectations that God has. He says something very similar to Jesus. Everything else hangs on, on this. And he's quoting from the book of Leviticus. It's, I put in your notes the, the actual verse he's quoting. Uh, it's in the middle of a whole lot of other things that he says right there. But, um, but God says to the people through Moses, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He says, this is, this is what I expect of you, to not hold grudges, but to, to love, to love your neighbor. And, and some of Jesus' fellow Jews at the time that Jesus was walking the earth were saying, uh, oh, well, you know what, it's, it's talking about among your own people. So we just have to love, our, loving our neighbors means, you know, our fellow Jews. We can, we can go ahead and hate our enemies and those Gentiles and those people, those Romans who are oppressing us and all the others. And Jesus makes real clear, oh, no, oh, no, that's, that's not what this is about. And he tells that story of the Good Samaritan, this non-Jew who demonstrates what it means to be a neighbor, demonstrates neighbor love, and, and kind of puts them in their place. And, and in, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, you know, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless them. Find ways to do good to those who, who hate you. Our neighbors include any other human being we see walking the planet. And Jesus gets it from Leviticus. It is a weird book, and one of the main calls in this book is, is what I think I put there. Is that the next thing, or is the video next? Okay, good. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. I was trying to remember. I'm making sure I got the video in the right place. Jesus says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. He says, this is what God expects of us, that we would be like him, that we would love like he loves, that we would be holy as he is holy. The problem is, we're not right? We're not holy like God is holy. We screw up. The people we saw, you know, in the book of Exodus, the people of God, as soon as they got the commandments from God about, you know, don't create any statues, don't bow down to those statues, they create a statue and they bow down to it. You know, they, it, like the ink isn't dry yet on the stone tablets. That's not how that works. Anyway, uh, you know, it's like they've just gotten these commands and they're already breaking them. They've just agreed and now they're, they're violating them. And we have all done the same. All of us have had a neighbor, an enemy, uh, someone that we have not loved as we love ourselves, that's for sure, right? I mean, even the people who are among our own people, you know, the people who are just like us in every way except maybe they voted for somebody else in the last election or except maybe they, you know, drive a different kind of car or fly a different kind of flag or whatever. I, I, who knows? We come up with all kinds of reasons not to love our neighbors. We're, we're not holy as God is holy. 
So what do, we, what do we do with that? That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. And we're going to watch like a six-minute video from the folks of the Bible Project. I put on your tables uh, a diagram. We're not watching that video, all right? They've got a video where they draw that whole diagram, descri- describe that whole diagram. We're watching a different one. I kind of like this one better that they did about the book of Leviticus. Let's check it out. The book of Leviticus, we know you've been avoiding it because it's weird. So let's fix that. Now remember, the story of the Bible began with humans in God's presence, but they were banished because of their rebellion. However, God wants to be in relationship with us, so he chooses one family that he will use to restore the world back into his presence. And so God's presence comes to dwell in a tent right in the middle of Israel. And that's great. But it creates a problem because it's so intense that Moses can't go in and other priests who enter inappropriately, they die. Well, wait, if God's presence is good, how is it all of a sudden dangerous for people? So think of it this way. God's presence is like the sun. It's pure power and goodness. And when something mortal and corruptible gets close to such pure power, it's destroyed. And so the word holiness is used in Leviticus to describe God's pure and powerful presence, which, like the sun, is both good and dangerous. So the point of Leviticus is to show how corrupt Israelites can live near God's goodness without being destroyed. Now, in the book, there are three ways for how this is all going to work out, and these are going to seem strange to you, but just hang in there with us. The first one is rituals, the second is this idea of the priesthood, and the third is a bunch of purity laws. Now, the book is broken up into seven sections, and each solution is explored in two sections of the book. The rituals are here, the priests are here, and the purity laws go here. Now, the first solution, rituals, involves a lot of animal sacrifices. And so Leviticus begins with detailed instructions for how to make these sacrifices. Some are ways of saying thank you to God, and others are simply ways of saying I'm sorry. And here at the end of the book, there are some more rituals. These are about observing sacred days and festivals. They're all celebrations that retell some part of the story of how God rescued Israel and set them apart from the nations. The second solution to the holiness problem has to do with priests. You see, being directly in God's presence is really dangerous. So he appoints priests as special representatives who can go into his presence on behalf of others. So in this section, we have a story about how the priests are ordained into the priesthood. And then this other section explains the set of higher standards that the priests have to live by because they work so closely to God's presence. The third solution in the book is all about purity laws. And this is by far the hardest thing to understand. For example, in this section, we're really concerned with knowing whether you're clean or unclean. Or another way of saying that is being pure and impure. Here's what we need to know to understand this. When you're in a pure state, you can be near God's presence. When you're in an impure state, you can't. And so it was really important for Israelites to know what state they're in at any given moment. So the first thing we have is a list of pure and impure animals. Yeah, this list of animals is divided up by where they live. So on the land, in the sea, in the air. And the text is just not clear about why certain animals are impure or why touching or eating them makes you impure. What is clear, however, is that avoiding these creatures will set Israel apart and it will remind them that God's own holiness should affect every part of their lives, including what they eat. After the food laws, we get a lot of random rules about things like skin disease, touching dead bodies, what to do with bodily fluids. 
but they're not random. All of these are things that the Israelites associated with life and death, which are sacred things because God is the author of life. Okay, but simply coming into contact with these things makes you impure? They do, but we have to keep in mind that it's not wrong or sinful to be ritually impure. You just wait a few days, take a bath, offer a sacrifice, and you're pure again. What is inappropriate is entering into God's presence when you're in an impure state. Now, there's more purity laws over here in this section. Yeah, these focus on Israel's moral behavior. So these are laws about social justice, healthy relationships, having sexual integrity. Living by these laws will make Israel into a morally pure people who can live near God's presence. Those are the three solutions. Now, you've probably noticed that they surround the very center of this book. And it's here that we find a really important ritual called the Day of Atonement. Yeah, so Israel's a big tribe now, and odds are there's a lot of sin happening that goes unnoticed that people are not dealing with. And so one time a year, the priests would take two goats, and one of those goats is killed, and its blood is carried right into God's presence where it symbolically covers or atones for Israel's sin. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Well, the meaning of the sacrifice, it's explained in the next chapter, where God says that the blood of a creature is its life. And so this goat's life is offered as a substitute. It's receiving God's punishment for Israel's sin so that the people don't have to. That leaves the second goat. Yeah, the priest puts his hands on it, and then he confesses all the sins of Israel. It's like he's placing the sins on the goat. And then that goat gets cast out forever into the wilderness. It's called the scapegoat. Yeah, I've heard that word before. Yeah, it's this very powerful image of how God is graciously removing Israel's sin. But let's be honest, sacrifices in general seem so barbaric. We have to remember that in the ancient world, sacrifices were the main way of buying favor from the gods. But the problem was that those same gods, they're unpredictable, they're fickle, you never know if they're gonna ignore you or they're gonna turn on you. And so it's in this cultural setting that we see Israel's God as totally different. He does get angry about human corruption, but it is never arbitrary and he loves people. So he provides this clear way for Israel to know with confidence that they are forgiven and that despite their corruption, they are safe to live near his presence. And so that makes the book of Leviticus actually a revolutionary statement in its day. So that's Leviticus. But Israel's still at Mount Sinai in the middle of the wilderness. They need a place to live. Yes, the land God promised to Abraham. And so the journey to that land is what the next book of the Bible is all about. Now, I got to tell you, I, I find that incredibly helpful because I don't know about you. Did, did any of you try to start reading Leviticus this last week? I'm not going to ask. I, anyway, if you did... I mean, you get in there and it's like, what on earth? Why am I reading about all these sacrifices and they got to sprinkle the blood here and put the blood over there and all this weird stuff? What does any of this have to do with me? I love the way those videos help me to get a picture of how the book is laid out and some connection to, to the life that we live today. Uh, if you remember when we finished the book of Exodus, uh, God's glory had moved, as we saw in the movie, from the mountaintop right into the midst of the people. We talked about how he's a God who goes with us. And that's why they made this tabernacle, this, this sanctuary, this movable. It kind of reminds me of when we started this church and everything had to get moved in and out every Sunday out of the banquet hall. Because they had to be able to move it. As, as God led them through the wilderness, they had to be able to pick up and move the sanctuary, the holy place. And, uh, and when God's 
well, here's what, here's what it says near the end of Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I feel like I've said tabernacle way too many times in that, in that little bit. Anyway, so God is present there in all of his holiness, all of his glory, and Moses couldn't enter in. And as Leviticus starts, the very first words are, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. It was like Moses couldn't get in, so God speaks to him from there. There's a, there's a distance now that's been created, perhaps because of the sin of the, of the people. And so Leviticus is trying to help us figure out, okay, how do we, our messed up, unholy, impure sometimes people, how do we live in proximity to this holy God who has come near to us? Well, by the time we start the next book, next month, Numbers, uh, it starts, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting. So something has, something has worked. You know, what God describes in Leviticus has worked, and now the people are able to come into God's presence. Moses, at least, is able to come into God's presence, and the, and the priests have, uh, have got a system now for coming into God's presence in a way that's appropriate. Uh, so if we keep reading Leviticus chapter 1, if you tried, here's what you would read. If you're like, ah, oh, I didn't try reading it, but maybe I will. That sounds interesting. Here, here's what you'll find. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord... Bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you're to offer a male without defect. In all of this, if you, if you read the coming chapters, you, you'll see it keeps mentioning. It's got to be a, a, without blemish, without defect. You don't offer to God something second rate, something that you're like, ah, you know, I didn't really want this, so uh, here, you have it, God. No, you, you offer to God something excellent, something that would have gotten a great price if you sold it at the market, something that you were looking forward to, an animal you were looking forward to eating at the next time your family slaughtered one of the animals and, and, and had a meal. He says, no, you offer to God a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You're to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. That's what it was talking about in the middle of that video, this idea that, that somehow the life of this animal and the blood of this animal that represents its life somehow is, is making atonement, is covering my sin, is washing away my sin. It's almost like the blood of these animals, it's almost like some kind of ritual detergent that, that cleanses the, the sanctuary, the holy place. It cleanses the people, cleanses the land. And that's what's happening in all these offerings. Whether it's these offerings to say, thank you, God, or whether they're offerings saying, I'm sorry, God. When, whenever you read that it's making atonement, it's like, yep, this is cleansing. This is, this is covering your sin. It's, it's wiping away the stain of your, of your impurity, of your sin. It says, you're to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You're to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces the sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces of the animal, including the head and the fat on the wood that's burning on the altar. You're to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It's like, evidently God likes barbecue. You know, that's what it sounds like. You know, you put the animal on there, and it's just like when you walk into, like, a good barbecue restaurant, and you're walking, you're like, oh, this is going to be nice. I can smell, you know, it's like it fills fills the place. The smell of these animals being sacrificed to God, of, of something valuable being given over to God, uh, either as an expression of thanks to God or as a way to say, oh, I'm so sorry, God. I hadn't intended to disobey in that way, to harm my neighbor in that way. I am sorry. When, when these things are offered to God, it, it's a way of, 
of uh, sending an a pleasing, a pleasing aroma up to God. You know, the smoke rises and the smell rises. And it's like, okay, God, here you go. Please know that I'm grateful. Please know that I'm sorry. And there's a whole bunch of these. And they do sound kind of gruesome. I mean, even just reading that, it's like talking about cutting it into pieces and the internal organs and the head over here and the guts over there. It's like, man, I, I, don't, I don't do any of that stuff. Now, some of you are like, man, what's the big deal? It's just slaughtering an animal. That's what happens, you know, because you do that. You know, you hunt, you do all the stuff, you know, uh, or you've raised animals, you've worked on a farm, where animals where you had to slaughter them. Um, we slaughter all kinds of animals today. Uh, for our burgers and bacon and all the rest, we just do it over there somewhere where most of us can't see it, you know. Meat comes from the grocery store. It's all wrapped in plastic, nice and ready for us, you know, already ground up or already, you know. Um, but that's not how most of the world has lived, and it's not how they lived, you know. And so this wasn't gruesome to them. Uh, this was just, and this was something that all their neighbors did. We, we offer animals. As the video said, we offer animals, sacrifices to our to our God. And this God, the God of people of Israel is a God who is consistent, who is faithful in his love, who is going out of his way to make it possible for him to go with the people, to, to walk with them, to live with them, even though, as I love the portrayal, even though he is holy, like, like the sun, you know, and, and just like you can't get too close to the sun without evaporating, you know, getting burned up, you can't get too close to a holy God without it being a dangerous thing. But God is going out of his way to say, here are some ways you can Safely approach me. Safely might be a little too strong. Here are some ways you can approach me. Confident um, that, that you can approach me. Um, now, as I mentioned, the center of the book. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at some of the, some of the unusual stuff. And, uh, and there are some real key moments that I think are, are kind of huge for us that we ought to be listening to today. But I just want to take a moment to look at that middle part uh, where it talks about the Day of Atonement. Right? Uh, I love how they showed like there's rituals and there's stuff about the priests and there's these purity laws and at the very center, at the heart of it, which by the way, this is also, this is the middle book of the, of the Torah, the five books of Moses. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and after this you've got Numbers and Deuteronomy, and they kind of follow a pattern too that, that has Leviticus at the center, and at the center of the center, here is this story about the Day of Atonement. So this is in some ways kind of the heart of the Torah, this, and the Torah is the heart of the Hebrew Scriptures, all right? This is, uh, for some Jews, this was, of Jesus' day, they only took the Torah. There were all these prophets who spoke, sure, and there were all these other writings, you know, some psalms, some wisdom literature, and those are good, but the Scriptures for them were the Torah, the, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is what we call it. And so this, this is like the, the basic Scripture, and the heart of it is this is this day of atonement, this, this moment once a year where they would just kind of make sure, let's just make sure that we're on, on good ground with God. You know, we've got all these other offerings that we, and sacrifices that we make, you know, day after day there would be sacrifices offered because, you know, it's a big community and there's always somebody that's like, oh, I found out I wronged my neighbor, I hadn't meant to, but you know what, I, I sinned, I stained, I stained our community with this and so I need to, I need to purify this stain, I need to cleanse this stain. And they would bring an offering. You know, day after day, there's somebody coming with that. But the idea is that, like, well, okay, but what about those folks who, like, didn't ever realize they'd wronged their neighbor? Or, or you know, they did something wrong, but then they died before they got a chance to come and make it right. And, and so it's kind of like sin kind of builds up, like, like stains on the, on the community or, like, graffiti or, like, something that's, like, not supposed to be there. And it needs to be washed clean. 
And so once a year, they have this day of atonement, this day of covering, this day where um, the, the priest will go into the most holy place, the center of the temple. Uh, you might remember, I think I tried to describe it last week as we were looking at the, the idea of this, this tabernacle, this mobile tent, this mobile temple that, uh, that God had instructed the people to build. Like there's the courtyard area, and out there is where, where they would have that big altar where they make the sacrifices. And then there's this, this smaller tent inside that um, that's divided in two pieces. The, the holy place that you first walk into, and then the most holy place, or the holy of holies is what it was called when I was growing up. That must have been the translation of the scripture we were using. The holy of holies, the most holy place. And in there was where that Ark of the Covenant was. That's where, where uh, I think God says that's, that's where his um, presence is going gonna, is gonna to be there uh, on, the, on the atonement cover. Yeah, yeah, for I will appear in the cloud of the atonement. Oh, that's, that's the part we're just about to read. Okay, Leviticus 16, as we get to that day of atonement, it says the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The video just made a brief mention of it, that like walking into God's presence was kind of a dangerous thing and mentioned priests who entered uh, like in a way they shouldn't. And that's what Aaron's sons do. You can read about it in chapter 10. Uh, they come in just kind of doing their own thing. And, uh, and God says, nope, that's not what I told you to do. And they're zapped, you know. And they die there in the, in the holy place. And so he says, after, after they had died, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come in, not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. And it goes on for a few verses talking about some of the sacrifices and the blood and all that stuff. And in fact, in verse 6, it says, Aaron's to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he's to take the two goats that we just heard about, present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats, basically flip a coin, right? One lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. A few verses later, it says he's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when you catch wildlife in your house. Like we have bats in our house sometimes, and you can't just catch the bat and then go outside your door and just like fling it out the door, right? Because it's going to like fly around and right back in wherever it came, right? You got to like walk it down the street to your neighbor's house and let it out by your neighbor's house, right? So it goes in their house instead of your, your house. They take the goat way outside there, and they release it out in the wilderness, making sure it doesn't come back. And symbolically, God is giving them this ritual, this symbol to say, your sins, all the sins of the whole community, all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins are placed on this goat. And the goat carries it away. And like they, they're emptying the trash, right? They're taking it away from the community. Carries their sins away. God, God wants them to be able to see. He's giving them something visual so they can see, like, oh, yep, there goes the goat. <sighs> okay, my sins are, are gone. God's not holding on to them anymore. 
There's one of the Psalms that, that says something similar to this, Psalm 103. Uh, in verse 8, it quotes that verse that I mentioned uh, last week, the week before, recently, um, as the most quoted verse in the Bible that's quoted in other places. It might not be the one that's quoted most often by us today, but for the biblical writers, this is the verse that they went back to most often. It's from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, where God reveals himself to Moses, his character to Moses. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is who God is at his, at his core. And that God, God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. This, I'm guessing that when they read that psalm or when they sang that line of that song, that in their minds they might have been thinking of, oh yeah, every year on the Day of Atonement we see those, our sins removed far away from us taken beyond where we can see, and we know that God is no longer holding our sins against us. This is a problem for some of us, right? This, this is a problem for some of us because we, we hang on to those things. We still remember what we did. We still remember what was done to us. We still remember those things, and those things still sometimes you, you might be racked with guilt over something that happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, more than that. Some, something that you did wrong, you hurt someone maybe in a way that you could never repair. And you maybe have been beating yourself up over that for decades. God doesn't want that for you. God wants to forgive your sins and to help you to know those sins are no longer being, uh, they're no longer on your account, all right? That, that debt has been paid the sins have been removed. The stain has been scrubbed clean. All right, this is what God wants for each and every one of us. He doesn't want us to live our whole lives burdened by shame or guilt over something that we did or that was done to us. God wants us to be free of that. And so that's one thing he does on this day of atonement is to give them a visual, something they can see. We're like, yep, this is, this is gone. Your sins are gone. Now, we don't do that anymore, right? There's not, there's not a day of Christians, I should say, don't do that. Jews still celebrate the Day of Atonement every, every year. Um, but we Christians, especially all us Gentile Christians, don't typically do that, right? Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. We'll probably get into it more as we make our way through the Bible this year. But, um, but we do have rituals that we celebrate as Christians, as followers of Jesus. At least two, we call them sacraments, these holy moments, these sacred things, right? Um, one of them is communion, which we celebrate each and every Sunday here, where we offer bread and juice, and we remember Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, and that, that night where he celebrated the Passover with his disciples, and, and he took this meal that for them had commemorated God's rescuing them from slavery in Egypt, and, and he made it about himself and what God was doing in his life and death and resurrection to rescue us today from slavery to sin. So this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you for forgiveness, so that you can live with this holy God, right? And the other sacrament is, is baptism. Uh, it was just a few weeks ago that we baptized Terrence right here. Terrence. And, uh, and we baptized, I've had the privilege of baptizing many of you over the years, um, where 
we have this moment where much like, much like they could see the goat leaving camp and know, oh, my sins are gone. In baptism, we feel the water you know, drenching us. Whether it's poured over your head and you're kind of soaked with it that way or whether you, you get dunked under the tank and brought back up. And it reminds us that, yes, God, you have thoroughly washed me clean. These are, things, these are gifts that God has given us so that we can know his grace. So that we can reach back so that when we have that moment of thinking like, oh, I still feel so guilty for that thing that I did. Some other part of us, or maybe God's Holy Spirit, can remind us and say, well, yes, but you have been washed clean. You have been forgiven. Jesus gave his life for you. And that's what the author to the letter of the Hebrews in our New Testament picks up. Uh, we might spend a month on Hebrews later this year. I hope that we can do that. In Hebrews chapter 9, um, they said, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary, a holy place, made with human hands. It was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. He's referring back to that day of atonement. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. says, Christ... Christ has borne our sins. He has, he has removed our sins from us. He has washed us clean. He has forgiven us by the sacrifice of himself, by his own blood. Of course, in his case, death didn't have the final say. Sin didn't get that. You know, he was raised to life again, to share that life with us. And he will come again to bring salvation, wholeness, shalom, to, to rescue, to bring justice, to make things right. We look forward to that day. We anticipate that day. We live our whole lives arranged to kind of be in line with that day when Jesus will come and end oppression and lift up those who have been oppressed when he comes to make things right. And so we don't want to be on the side of those who are making things wrong. We want to be on the side of those who are helping to make things right. We're following Jesus and trusting in him because that holy God has come near to us in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, to help us to live free of it. That's what he wants for us. That's what we can experience now, today. Let's bow our heads and let's, let's pray before we celebrate communion together. Uh, perhaps you have come in today weighed down by some of your sins. And if you'd lived in ancient Israel, you'd have had to bring like a bull or a sheep or a dove or a something to try to say, I'm sorry, God. But now today, Jesus has already made the sacrifice. And so we can just come and say, God, I am sorry. God, I'm sorry for the ways that I have sinned against you. I'm sorry for the ways I've not loved you with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. I'm sorry I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. I have not been holy as you are holy. I have not loved as you have loved me. God, every single one of us, every single one of us have sinned, have stained this world you've given us, this life you've given us with our sin. Every single one of us have needed to experience your grace and your forgiveness, washing our sins away. Thank you, God, 
Thank you for doing this for us, for giving yourself to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for giving yourself, holding nothing back out of love for us, but giving yourself, sacrificing yourself so that we might be made holy, so that we might be washed clean, so that we might live in this world with the holy God, living within us by your Holy Spirit, guiding us through this life, empowering us to love our neighbors, even those who don't love us very much. Thank you, God. Thank you. We depend on your grace. We are thrilled to be recipients of your forgiveness. Help us to live in this world as as a people who are aware, who are grateful of all you have done for us. Who are willing to carry your love and your grace to people who need it so desperately. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, the musicians are going to lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. I'll be here with this basket of bread and this cup of juice. And as we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and then return to your seats. This is open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. All of us who are hungry for his grace, who are grateful for his love. So uh, if you'd like, uh, you can join us, or if you don't want to get that close, I think most of the tables have the little uh, communion cups on them that you can peel back and get to bread and, and get to juice. But please, don't keep your distance from the God who loves you. Please, let's celebrate. One can wash away my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus One can make me whole again Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow that
Thank you again, Lord Jesus, for giving yourself for us. We offer ourselves to you today, grateful for your grace, for the love that you have shown us. Fill us, we pray, with the Spirit of Christ, so that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, broken, poured out for others, carrying your grace and your love everywhere you send us. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.